We do appreciate your uh, willingness to allow us back and have me back and uh, to allow some of our men to come and, and enjoy your worship service. It's good to be uh, with a group of men who are excited about worshiping the Lord on the Lord's day. And so it's good to be here. If you have a Bible, open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And while you're turning, I want to begin by pointing out a very obvious and perhaps for some of us even awkward, perhaps maybe even slightly offensive elephant in the room. I want to begin by focusing our minds on a particular prepositional phrase that is true of every one of us at the moment. Now, if you don't know what a prepositional phrase is, it's a phrase where you describe an object in relation to something else. As an example, under the car, on the house, over the river, through the woods. These are prepositional phrases. And the prepositional phrase that I want to get our minds uh, to begin to contemplate right now is this prepositional phrase in prison every single person in this room right now is described by those two words in prison the hard truth of the matter is however that in about 45 minutes some of us are going to be leaving and some of us are going to be staying those of you who live here will remain here and you will remain in prison that's just a cold hard truth it's it's not nobody's excited about that but that's just the truth and for those of you who will stay who live here that phrase in prison carries a whole lot more weight to it than it does for those of us who are going to get to leave many of you have loved ones on the outside and when they talk about you in conversation they have to speak of you as in prison for most of you, whenever you leave this place, and hopefully you will return to society being rehabilitated, that phrase, in prison, is going to stick with you more than likely for the rest of your life. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you will always have been known as someone who has been in prison. Many of you will have trouble finding a good, solid gainful employment because on your record no matter how just it is or may not be it's always going to say in prison or having been in it's always going to be there many of you if you're if you're single you're going to get out hopefully someday you'll find a woman that you want to spend the rest of your life with and and in a moment of just being complete and totally honest and explaining who you are and where you've been you're going to have to explain yourself as having been in prison now, again, for, for many of you, as, as you hear that phrase over and over and over, it's, it's sort of difficult. It even begins to uh, grate against your soul. It's not like you didn't know it, but you definitely didn't need a preacher to come in here tonight and remind you of it. You probably came here to try to get away from that fact, to, to kind of put that aside. And here I am just saying in prison over and over and over. And if, and if that's Offensive. I want you to know my, my intention is not to be offensive. My intention is to try to exegete tonight one of the greatest, if not the greatest truths in all of Scripture 
the greatest news that we can hear, but I think we would all agree that to understand the good news, there has to be some bad news. We have to hear the bad in order to get to the good. And so when I use that phrase in prison, that's, that's, the, that's the dark side. That's the downside. That's the, the bad news. Because many of you will have that in your, in your mind and on your conscience for the rest of your life. In prison. It's always going to be there. But for those of you who are Christians, there is another prepositional phrase that stands over and above that phrase. Now notice I did not say, for those of you who have prayed the sinner's prayer, I did not say, for those of you who have asked Jesus to come into your heart, and I did not say, for those of you who believe the historical facts about Jesus and His life and His death and His resurrection, when I say for those of you who are Christians, I'm talking about those of you who have been truly born again of the Holy Spirit of God. You've, you've, you've experienced the new birth. If you are a Christian, then in Scripture, you are described over and over by a particular phrase. Within this phrase is contained all of the Christian religion. Within this phrase is contained every doctrinal truth concerning what it means to be a Christian. Within that phrase is contained every seed of power that can cause a person and will cause a person to live according to the precepts and the instructions of God's Word. Now I'm sure by now you want to know what that, that phrase is. And so we turn to God's Word in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 26. I'm reading from the, the English Standard Version, so I'm sorry if that is, is different than what you have. Beginning in verse 26, as I read some of these descriptions, just ask yourself, does that sound like me? For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are, and here's our phrase, in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now in that phrase, that prepositional phrase, in Christ, is contained what theologians have come to call the doctrine of union with Christ. If you are a Christian, you have a union with the Lord Jesus that the biblical authors describe over and over, and especially Paul, over and over by this phrase, in Christ, in Him, in whom, over and over. This union, A.W. Pink says, is the most important, most profound, and most blessed of any union that is set forth in sacred scriptures. And so what I want to do for the remainder of our time is just sort of give an overview of this, this doctrine, this union with Christ and hopefully spur you on to some study on your own time that's going to last all of us for the rest of our lives as we delve into what it means to be united to Christ 
So what I want to do in this explanation is two things. If you are a Christian, you're truly born again. My desire is to encourage you, to strengthen you in your faith, to spur you on to greater study, to spur you on to a a deeper knowledge of God in Christ Jesus so that as you study and as you live and as you understand that, that phrase in prison is going to grow strangely dim in the light of this new phrase in Christ. The second thing I want to do, if you're not a Christian, perhaps you're here because there was just nothing else better to do. You just wanted to get away for a while. Maybe you just feel like it's, it's Sunday and so I need to be in a worship service. But you're not a Christian. My goal is to describe the state of a believer, a Christian, in such a way that when I get done, you say, I want that. I need that. Somebody tell me how to get that. So that's what I want to do. Amen. That being said, I want to look at this union with Christ under five headings. We're going to look at the definition of union with Christ, the foundation of our union with Christ, the application of our union with Christ, and then our current condition in union with Christ. So first, the definition of union with Christ. What is it? What does it mean? Now, when I give you this definition, which I came up with on on my own, but the Bible doesn't say this is what we mean by union with Christ. I had to come up with this on my own. I'm going to tell it to you, and you're going to say, huh? And so I'm going to have to break down every little piece of the definition. And even after that, when we get done, we're still going to be left with a little bit of uncertainty because there is an aspect of this union that's simply incomprehensible to us. We can't understand it. Our our human minds can't fathom it. So the union with Christ, I would define as the real, eternal, spiritual mystical relationship between Christ and his people wherein Christ takes a person to himself and that person apprehends Christ by faith and the two unite in an unbreakable solidarity. Christ takes a person and then you by faith reach out and take Christ and you're joined in an unbreakable Solidarity. Now, I'm going to break all that down. First, this union is real. It is real. It's not just an idea. It's not just a theological concept. It's not just a, an analogous way of framing a doctrine where we'd say, well, it's kind of like we're united to Christ. No, we really are. It's not kind of like it. It is union with Christ. It's real. It's, it's factual. It's a present reality right now. If you're a Christian, you're joined to Christ. It's concrete. It's observable. You can look at a person and watch the union with Christ flow out in their lives. It's it's measurable. You can look back at where they used to be and see how they've changed because they are united to Christ. It's real. It's eternal. It's beyond the limits of time. It has no beginning and no end. In a sense, and I'll explain this later, it's always been true of you. Always. It's spiritual, capital S, spiritual. That is, it is of the Holy Spirit. It's because of the work of the Holy Spirit within you that you are united to Christ. The Holy Spirit of God initiates it. The Holy Spirit of God maintains it presently. The Holy Spirit of God is going to carry it through into eternity. It is spiritual. And it is mystical. In the biblical sense, mystical means it was once hidden. 
Old Testament writers, they didn't know anything about this union with Christ. But as we study the New Testament, it's now revealed. And that's the, the biblical definition of something that is a mystery, like the mystery of the gospel or the mystery of the church. It was once hidden, but has now been revealed. And so the way that we learn about this union is through God's revelation of his truth. You can't look at a tree or an apple or a cloud and say, well, yeah, I'm united with Christ. You can see the eternal power of God and the divine nature of God through the things that, that have been created, but you can't see this union with Christ. So that's why the, the best way to understand this union is to read and reread the New Testament and look for the phraseology of in Christ, in him, in whom over and over Ephesians chapter one, that introduction, one sentence Paul writes on forever and ever and ever. Twelve times he says, in Christ, in him, in whom. It's Paul's foundation for the Christian living. It is, it is mystical, and so we have to look to the word to understand it. And it is a oneness with Christ. No, I notice I did not say sameness. You don't become Jesus, and Jesus doesn't become you. You become one. You become united. You're, you're joined and knitted together. Your nature and character and your, your needs, your poverty as a, as a person, as a human, is knitted together with the nature and the character and the benefits of Christ. Where you need, He fills. So you, sinner, get Christ. You're joined to Him in this union. You're knitted together with Him. Your status becomes his status or his status becomes your status his position becomes your position his achievements become your achievements his past becomes your past his present becomes your present the bible teaches is his future is your future because you are united with christ now because this spiritual union is is so incomprehensible to us and the Bible doesn't just say, well, this is what it is. The Bible gives us various analogies to help us understand it a little. To help us understand how it's manifested in reality. So the Bible will say, use the language of a body and a head. Like this in Ephesians 4, Paul says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We're the body. We grow up into Him, and that is from Him. It's, there's a connection there. In 1 Corinthians 12, 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So just like a body with various parts needs to be connected to a head, so we believers, without being united to our Head, Christ, we have no life. We have to have that. Well, the Bible will speak of a husband and a wife. You say, therefore, Paul says again in Ephesians, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become how many flesh? One flesh. He says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. One flesh. We're united to him like a husband and a wife. And how are a husband and a wife united? In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says that a husband's body doesn't belong to him, it's hers. And her body doesn't belong to her, it's his. They're one flesh. 
And that's how we are joined with Christ, one flesh. Jesus uses the language of branches and a vine in John chapter 15. He says, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So a branch without a vine, what's that? That's just a dead stick. That's not a branch. But a branch connected to the vine is a fruit-bearing life source. It's pulling life from the vine. Now those are just a few. If you are a believer, a true Christian... This is the union you have with Christ. You are united to Him in a vital, life-giving union. You are His and He is yours. Without this connection, there is no life. But with this connection flows fruit and spiritual life. Spiritual fruit, we would call the fruit of the Spirit. It flows out of us. So that's sort of the definition and description. Again, we can't just say, here's chapter and verse, here's what it says. The Bible just gives us pictures and we have to put these things together the second heading is the foundation of our union with Christ the foundation in other words how did this union begin when when did it begin who was the one who initiated it was it me was it was it me when I when I walked an aisle and prayed a prayer or was there something else who, who laid the foundation well if we look at our text first Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30 says and because of him you are in Christ Jesus. Because of Him. Him who? Well, if we look back at verse 28 and 29, God chose what is low. Verse 29, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus. So we have God and we have Christ Jesus who is the Son of God. So who is God specifically here? It's God the Father. The, the foundation of this union is because of him because you are or because of the father now this because of him those two words because of that is a preposition of source that means it's out of him it flows from him it is from god the father that we have this union it's not based on what you've done or what you will do or what you can do or can't do it's because of sourced out of the father so if it comes from the Father, then when was this union began? When was the foundation of our union laid? Notice the language again in this passage that we read over and over, beginning in verse 27, God chose. God chose. Verse 28, God chose. When did God do this choosing of those who would be in Christ? We go back to Ephesians again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Notice, God the Father chose us in Him, that is in Christ, that's the language of union, before the foundation of the world. That is to say in eternity past. Before there was time, in the eternal decree of God, He chose us in union with Christ. Now, it's not as though God was thinking, well, let's see, on Wednesday i got to create the universe, 
And so maybe Tuesday I'll, I'll, I'll unite some people to my son. No, see, see God's outside of time. He, he doesn't work on a chronological scale like us. He's not bound by that, especially before the creation of the universe. God doesn't change. His, his eternal plan and eternal decree are a part of His eternal nature, His, his being. So this is simply a part of the eternal plan and wisdom of God. There is no beginning to it. There is no end to it. It was set forth in the ages past in the mind of God, established as a fact before time existed. In other words, in a sense, from God's perspective, there has never been a time when you were not really spiritually mystically joined to Christ in an inseparable union in a sense now every aspect of that union was not concrete at that time and it was not established in time and space yet but the union was established again author pink says the union between Christ and his church is so real so vital so intimate that God never viewed one apart from the other there's always been the head and the body the branch and the vines. Always. So, so think about it. Think about your life. Think about where you've been, what you've done. In spite of all of that, God set His love on you in eternity and united you in a mystical union with His one and only Son. That's why Paul begins the letter of Ephesians by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise Him. He just, he can't help it. He just starts off with worship because he chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons. So does that mean that you were never really lost? No. Does that mean that you were never really under the wrath of God? No. It means in spite of those facts, regardless of those facts, God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. So who laid the foundation of our union? It was God the Father. When did He lay the foundation of that union? In eternity past. Third, we come to the application of our union with Christ. How was it applied to us when we come into the picture? If we agree with the Apostle that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, and we also agree with Paul that all people, including those who are chosen in Christ, are by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind, dead in trespasses and sins, then there has to be a process by which our eternal union with Christ is made effectual for us in time and space. It becomes real to us. So how was this plan secured? Well, it was, it was or this union secured. It was planned in eternity past. And just all, all we can do is read Scripture. We, we can't understand these things that are outside of, of time in Psalm chapter 2, we see the Father speaking to the Son. And He says, Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Before the foundation of the world, in that same Psalm, He says, I will tell of the decree, the eternal decree, the Father speaking to the Son, this Trinitarian conversation. What would you like, Son? A people from every tribe and nation and tongue on the earth? You got it. And then in John six thirty seven, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. In John 17, 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. 
and they have kept your word. In other words, the father chose them. They're now the fathers. The father says, son, would you like this people? Yes, father. Here they are. I will give them to you. Again, in that same high priestly prayer, Jesus says, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Later on, verse 20 of the high priestly prayer, I do not ask for these only, not just the 12 disciples or the 11 disciples besides the son of perdition, but also for those who will believe on me, that's us, through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So the Father tells the Son, I will give you the nations as an inheritance. The Father chooses a people in Christ before the foundation of the world. The Father gives this people to the Son. He unites them to the Son. They're chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. He gives them to the Son. He says, now Son, go get your people. Go ransom your people. Now how did the Son do that? Well, in time, he came to the earth born of a virgin, born of a woman. He took on flesh and blood. He satisfied the demands of God's law for those whom God had chosen. That's called the active obedience of Christ. He, he, he did that for us. And then he went to the cross and suffered under God's wrath in the place of those who were united to him, his people. That's the passive obedience of Christ. Then he rose from the grave, conquering death for those people who were chosen in Christ. Then he ascended to the right hand of the Father to rule and reign and daily intercede on behalf of those people. Now someday he's going to come back and he's going to get those people for himself. After this ascension, he sent the Holy Spirit to apply. This is the application. The Holy Spirit applies this redeeming work to the hearts of His people. In Romans chapter 6, we read the language like this. We were baptized into Christ by the Holy Spirit. That's not talking about water baptism. That's talking about the Holy Spirit taking us and plunging us into Christ. Through regeneration, being born again, the Holy Spirit immerses us into Christ. Again, in your study time, go and read John 14, 15, 16, and 17, and look at all of the language concerning the giving of the Holy Spirit and the union of the believer in Christ and in the Father. That the whole section is about what's going to happen when Jesus ascends and the Holy Spirit comes and believers, this, this union is applied throughout church history. So in essence, all of the work of Christ from His incarnation to His ascension and His intercession right now and His sending of the Holy Spirit was the securing of the eternal union of His people to Himself in time and space. It was already done, but He secured it in time and space for us. Last heading. Our condition in union with Christ right now, where do you stand? If you're a believer, where do you stand? If you're a Christian, you've experienced regeneration. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. That's the Holy Spirit of Christ. You have Christ in you. Christ in His, in his flesh, His glorified flesh. He's at the right hand of the Father. But His Spirit comes and lives in you. And then He gives you faith. And it is by faith that you take hold of Christ and make Him yours. And you, you latch on and you make that union solidified 
again, in time and space, in your life, and by faith, all of the benefits of Christ's work become ours. Remember, Paul says that God has uh, given us every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Heavenly places is not where we live. All of our blessings are in heavenly places in Christ, but they're still ours. They get to us somehow, and it's by the Holy Spirit. Here's an example. 1 Corinthians 1 30 we read and because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us Jesus is is this to us wisdom from God righteousness and sanctification and redemption in other words all of the benefits of salvation that we see as great they belong to us only because we're in Christ they're his he is the full manifestation of all of them and then we get them when we are united to him so wisdom from God the Bible says we have the mind of Christ the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will illuminate our hearts and our minds to understand the scriptures that's first Corinthians 2 again the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are spiritually discerned the Holy Spirit comes gives us wisdom and we understand we have wisdom from God we have truth from God righteousness think about that God Put our sin on Christ. He imputed our sin to Christ. And He imputed Christ's righteousness to us by faith. We're not righteous. I don't know about you guys. I'm not righteous. When God looks at me, however, He sees Jesus. Because I'm in Him. So we get that righteousness. His never failing perfection. Every moment of every day of His entire life. Perfect. That's mine. Because I'm in Him. Sanctification. That is initially being set apart and then daily being made into the image of Christ that's ours Amen. he predestined us for adoption as sons that we would be we holy and blameless we're set apart again Ephesians three twenty. now to him who is able to do far abundantly more than we ask or think according to the power at work within us the Holy Spirit comes in us and gives us his power. Philippians 2.13. It is God who works in you. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We have to have him in us. And Romans 8 tells us. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Is in our mortal bodies. That Amen. same spirit. Amen. Is in us. Because we're united to Christ. Again in this. 1 Corinthians 30. He says redemption. Another benefit. Of Christ. All of Christ's work. Could be summed up in Redemption. Everything that he did, Christ becomes redemption to us. His crucifixion is ours. Romans 6, 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. His death is our death. 2 Corinthians 5, 14, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. His death's my death. And we say things like, man, I deserve death. No, you got it. In Christ. He died. You got his death. His burial is our burial. Romans 6, 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. His burial is our burial. His resurrection is our resurrection. Ephesians 2, 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive together with Him. His resurrection is our resurrection. His present position 
is our present position. Ephesians 2, 6, speaking of it, says, God raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in heavenly places. Where Jesus is, if you're a Christian, you're there. Not, not physically, spiritually, you're there. You're already with Him. His eternal state is ours. Paul says in Romans 8, if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may be also glorified with Him. He's glorified right now and will be forever in eternity. And in an essence, we are already, but not yet. We're working towards that goal. We will be glorified with Him. You can see why Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 3, all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God. It's all yours because you're in Christ. Brothers, if you are in Christ, you have been united to Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit through faith. That's your position in Christ. Christ. The anointed one, the Messiah, the prophet, priest, and king of God's people, the eternal, beloved Son of God. When God sees you, He sees Christ. When He looks at Christ, when He beholds His beloved Son, He sees you. You're His body. It doesn't matter the opinions of men. It doesn't matter the records that men might keep over and above your past and your present and your future. If you are in Christ, you are indissolubly, eternally, really, actually, completely joined to the darling Son of glory forever. Forever. If not, then your eternal death still awaits you. It's waiting. The wrath of God abides on you. Your burial, being covered with dirt, that still waits. Your resurrection will be to eternal punishment. In the Bible, when Paul speaks of Christ, it's in comparison to in Adam. In Adam all die. In Christ all shall be made alive. If you're not in Christ, the only other option is in Adam. You remain dead in your sins. You're you're a walking dead man. You might... Hopefully, someday, get out of here and go back to the world. But if you're not in Christ, you might as well be on death row in San Quentin. You're a walking corpse. You don't have a life. You're not joined to the branch or the, or the vine. You're just a stick. Apart from Christ, brothers, would you not flee to Christ? If you're not in Him, would you not run to Him and be united to Him? Would you not, be, would you not repent and turn back that your sins might be blotted out? The Bible says if you will believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. Because there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We believe on Christ. See, there's a great chasm between a holy God and sinful men. But there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. We have to flee to Christ. He is King and He is Lord. Someday every knee will bow to Him. My prayer would be that you would bow willingly now, joyfully bow to the King. I'll close with this verse from Psalm 2 again. Psalm 2 and verse 12. This is my, my closing exhortation. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish in the way, 
for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the great truths of Scripture. We are thankful for Your Son. Lord, I pray that if there is one here who is not a believer, that You would ravish their heart, that You would bring conviction upon them so much that they can't sleep, that they can't eat, until they know that they have been united to Christ by faith. Grant them repentance and faith. And for those of us who are believers, Lord, I pray that You would help us to understand these great doctrines, to live in them, to experience their reality, and to be encouraged. Lord, bless the reading of Your Word. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.